You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, hey, Merry Christmas. You don't hear that very often, do you? Not, not quite so much. Um... It's funny because we've diverted to, really quick, I'm going to go on a little rant here, then we'll get to our text, but um, we'll, instead of saying Merry Christmas, we'll say what? Happy Holidays. You know what holiday means? Holy Day. So in, in, in trying to escape, all right, well, I don't want to talk about Christ, so I'm just going to divert, and instead they're saying, well, Happy Holy Day. So either way, we got this holiday. It's ours to claim. It's about Jesus. We're going to keep it about Jesus Stay centered on the gospel. Amen? All right, so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. That is where we are going to be this morning. And we are so stoked to be with you guys that you took your Sunday morning and you're not in the surf. You swell. Come on, right? And just so you know, we've been busy preparing for Christmas so I haven't gone out, and so you can pray for me. I'm, I'm a little bitter and a little resentful in my heart right now, so you can pray for me. Anyone get a chance, get a piece of it, though? I know you, I, oh, what? Okay, I love you guys, I do. I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> we are starting part one of our Rejoice, Make Much of the King Christmas series. We're going to take the next couple of weeks and talk about and look at different stories in Scripture, going through the Bible and looking at what is rejoicing, what is making much of the King look like. And so we're going to get into that here in just a little bit. But at the end of the day, we have to step back, and at the end of the day, we have to realize in this creation, there are only two types of people. There are people who live to make much of themselves. There are people who live to make much of their own life. And then there are people who live for a greater cause than their own. And they live and they exist to make much of Jesus, to make much of the king. They live to make much of God. And so because there are only two people, two types of people, we have to come to the realization that we are, are all people who rejoice, all of us, every single one of us, have within our hearts, we've been hardwired by God to make much of something or someone. And so in pursuit of this, we spend. And our income is smaller than our debt because we are trying to take the pieces of this world because the world says, well, this works and this works. And all you got to do is take that and put that in here. And then you put it there and you're like, it doesn't fit. It, it, it doesn't work. It's not, it's, not, it's not satisfying everything I expected. And doesn't Christmas have a great way of exploiting that all the more? That every Christmas, and even in my own heart, I think, well, maybe this Christmas will be the best Christmas yet. Maybe this time of year that I will have a satisfaction, a joy that I've never had before at this Christmas time. And so we'll, we'll try to see and try to put and see, and, but sometimes it just doesn't work. We endeavor to make much of something or someone, and oftentimes we are left empty. 
But what we see in our scripture this morning in Luke chapter 1 is someone small by the name of Mary, very, very small, has an encounter from a huge and big God through an angel, and she is going to respond, how, by making much of herself or by making much of God? Well, we're going to look at her life. We're going to see how she responds to events that happen in her life, and we're going to pick it up. In verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations, all generations, the generation here today, we are calling her blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that you are a God who is just as alive today as when you showed up and you did a great work 2,000 years ago. And in this Christmas season, we want to celebrate Jesus So, Holy Spirit, would you help us to grasp the gospel? Would you open the eyes of our heart to understand the truths of Scripture that you have given us? And maybe some in here don't have much reason to rejoice. Their heart has revealed that that everything this time of year promises hasn't satisfied, hasn't fulfilled, hasn't met our needs. Jesus, you meet our needs. So in this moment... As we gather to study your word, would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you reveal your son to us? And would we understand the grace that you have towards us? As you did, Mary, so you do with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've got to get a little backstory before we just jump right into expositing and looking at the implications and how these scriptures work themselves out in our lives. Earlier, Mary had a visit from an angel, an angel named Gabriel, if you remember. And Gabriel wasn't just some little angel with wings. The the, the angels of the Lord are not chubby, fat, half-naked, shooting like bone arrows. That's not an angel. They're, They're mighty. They're strong. Some have swords. And, and, and they are serious, they're a force to be reckoned with. In fact, whenever you see someone encountering an angel in the Bible, what do they say? Do not be afraid. Not, not because they're chubby bunnies and it creeps them out, but they're legitimately afraid of the, the angels. And so an angel shows up to Mary, who, mind you, is at best 15 years old. 15 years old. Some of you younger girls in here, put yourself in Mary's shoes. She is probably, most scholars believe, between 12 12 and 14 years of age. 
Not like the books maker. The books maker seems, seems like she's 35, 30. She's got everything together. No, Mary's 12 to 14 years old, has a visit from this angel, and she's engaged. She's engaged. All the dads in their house are like, nah, uh not today. You aren't getting engaged in junior high. Well, culturally, then people took more responsibility on quicker, where today we prolong it. Then they, they, they took on responsibility much faster than we do. We know she's from the little town of Nazareth. Nazareth is ghetto. It's just, it's just a little town. Uh, historically, when they've when they done some excavation there, they believe there was one well, one well in Nazareth. A couple hundred people, a few hundred people at best. It's like Ocean View, okay? And if you're from Ocean View, I'm sorry I just offended you, but Nazareth is kind of like the Ocean View of the island. And we're, we're glad you're here if you're from Ocean View, but uh, that's kind of what Nazareth was like. So Gabriel shows up to Mary as she's doing her routine and says, Mary, blessed are you among all women, for you are going to bear the Son of God, and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Me? For real, God. I'm a virgin. I'm not even married yet. What are all the religious people going to say about, really? Me? Yeah, you. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will cause this miracle and it will happen. Now, put yourself in Mary's slippers for a second, if we could. She is 12 to 14 years old. Engaged, betrothed to be married. And, and engagements today get called off all the time. So, but an engagement then was a betrothal, and a betrothal was, was half matrimony almost. I mean, they were, they, they were going to get married. And she's engaged in planning her wedding with Joseph, and she's now pregnant with God inside her womb. So 12 to 14 years old, pregnant, planning a wedding to be engaged Having to tell her fiance, hey baby, so, um, she didn't say that. That's just what we're ad living along the way. Uh, hey Joseph, it's going to sound a little weird. I'm pregnant. It was totally God though. Had nothing to do with any, any other guy. The Holy Spirit, and you know how I know this? An angel of the Lord named Gabriel came and told me. Really? And Gabriel, uh-huh. Who's Ga- wh- where is he? Can, can I call him? Who, who's this Gabriel guy? He doesn't do that. He might have. We, we don't know. Of course, as Jarrett read earlier, um, Joseph had a vision and a dream because he, I'm sure, was worried about all of that. Because would Joseph call off the betrothal? Would all the plans that she had made in her life be ruined? Would her family believe her? Really, it really, 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 it's God. I promise it's the Holy Spirit. I promise it's not a guy. Uh-huh. Sure. Yep. And the consequences were not like they were today. They were much worse then. And Mary, we know, was poor. In a small town, not the best medical care. I mean, Nazareth, probably much like Ocean View, doesn't have the greatest hospitals. You know, they're going, all right, go to Jerusalem. And they didn't have helicopters then, so it was a bit unsettling. In fact, many women out of, who are pregnant out of wedlock 
would be shamed, would be outcast, and they would not be allowed to go to worship at the synagogues any longer. And if that's not enough, her reputation we know would never be the same. In fact, there were religious people who would stand, uh, who, would, who would be in the presence of the Lord, having a conversation with Jesus, and be like, hey Jesus, at least we know who our father was. You get what they're saying though, right? Yeah, your mom got busy, but at least we know who our dad is. We're not an insignificant child like you. I mean, if I was God, then lightning bolt, you're gone. Not, not the Lord, though. Not the Lord. So many women, then, didn't survive the pregnancy alone. And many times, the children would not survive the pregnancy either. So if Mary is to, in fact, survive, let's just say uh, she, she does survive the pregnancy and baby survives the pregnancy, what is she left with? Raising a child. Now, do you remember, for those of you who are parents or grandparents, remember holding your first child and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to provide. I have to feed. I have to college. I, I, okay. Mary has all those pressures, oh, and the baby is God. Oh, by the way, Mary, you have to raise God. I mean, how hard is that? You can't spank him because he's, I mean, he's perfect. I mean, all right, kids, you better be like your older brother, Jesus, because, I mean, he's stinking Jesus. He's perfect. Yeah, he is perfect. He's God. So what happens? I mean, do you see now? I mean, this is, we glamorize the Christmas story, but do you see how it's not so glamorous for Mary? How is she going to respond to all the pressures of life? What happens? Because like we said, there are only two types of people, right? People who make much of themselves, or Mary could have made much of herself, or made much of her situation, or been focusing and, and, and dwelling upon and thinking about her own circumstances, or there are those who make much of God, who glorify the name of the Lord. Now before we get into it, before we really unpack this, again, we have to understand what worship is, because we tend to think, oh, worship, we just did worship, 10 minutes ago, song, guitars, drums, that's worship. It is worship. You're right. Singing is an act of worship. But did you know that worship is far bigger and far greater than just singing songs? Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I think gives us the clearest definition of what worship is. And Paul says in Romans 12, I beg you, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12.1 is the clearest, I believe, definition of worship throughout all Scripture. That we would present our entire life as a what? Living sacrifice. Now that's kind of a weird picture. Living sacrifice. I mean, and you have to understand then, a sacrifice is you lay an animal out on the altar and you kill it. But you're laying yourself and dying to yourself as a living sacrifice. And so the idea of sacrifice is giving up of oneself, laying oneself down for another And then he goes on to say, it's holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. So worship is sacrificial, not just singing, but it is sacrificial. And worship is holy. 
That word for holy is, is weight, is power, is glory, is strength. So we sacrifice our lives for something bigger, something more powerful, something more holy. And the truth is with worship, we are always giving up our lives for something or someone, right? We are always constantly doing that because all of life is worship. So work is now worship. You're like, dang it, really work is worship? Yes, work is worship. When you go charge those huge sets, that is a form of worship. Why? Because you are offering your body, literally body, over the reef as a living sacrifice so you can enjoy the glory of the heaviness of that wave, right? It's true. It's weird. I know. You're like, surf talk in church? This is crazy. Yes. When you hang out with your friends, when you take your wife out on a date, it's all forms of of worship. See, worship is making much of something or someone, and we are all worshipers. We are unstoppable and curable worshipers. Did you know you're worshiping all the time? You can't stop worshiping. We are constantly glorifying and laying our lives down for something. So it's not a question if we worship, but what are we worshiping? So let me ask you this morning, what are you worshiping? What are you laying your life down? What are you sacrificing yourself for? Worship reveals our center. It reveals our purpose. Worship will show us what we find most glorious in life. And doesn't Christmas have a way of showing us what we glorify most in life? Just you got kids, ask, what do you want for Christmas? That's what they worship. I want this. I mean, you talk to my kids. I want this. I want this. I want this. One of them wants like a telescope. Have you gone telescope shopping before? There are hundreds of dollars starting. I'm like, where are you not getting a telescope, man? We'll, put you a fa- we'll make you a fake one with just a lens on it and make you feel like it's a real telescope. But you're not getting a real telescope. But Christmas has a way of revealing what we sacrifice what we glory in our lives. This time of year, I love eggnog. Any eggnog, eggnog fans in the house? All right, everyone else, you can repent because we know what's good. I love eggnog. Now, I have a limited income. I only have so much income coming in a month. And I only have so much income. So, I mean, I got to pay bills and I got to do things. But I am choosing to sacrifice certain things financially and space in my fridge to make sure I have enough room for eggnog. You see, you see the, you're tracking with me here. Making a sacrifice financially and space-wise, making a sacrifice. And it's not just that, but I mean, I have been ODing on eggnog. And that's never a good idea, I've quickly learned to realize. Because I've been up late at night, we're not going to go any further than that, but I've been up late at night. Those of you who raised your hands, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, wow, that was not really worth it. So I'm laying my life down as a living sacrifice financially and health-wise. Did you know that, like, I think it's a half a cup of, I don't know, I, I'm not wrong. I don't remember exactly. A half a cup or um, a cup of eggnog is around 300 calories. I'm not even kidding. And my wife's like, you have a problem. You have a problem. I mean, you're just chugging that left and right. But you see, I'm laying my life down as a living sacrifice to behold something because I worship my taste buds, I worship, and I glory 
in eggnog. We all do it. We all have different things. And Christmas has an especially time of year where it reveals those things. Because what we sacrifice and glory in our lives is what we worship. All right, you tracking with me? What you sacrifice yourself for, what you glory in is worship. So some worship cars. Some worship their home. Some worship their family. Some, some worship their problems, their struggles. Others worship their success. Others worship power and money and religion and alcohol and lust. We all have different things we worship. Now Mary here has the opportunity. She has been blindsided now by all this news. There are only two types of people. People who make much of God. People who make much of their circumstances. And Mary has the opportunity to worship her circumstances or to worship her creator. And so what does Mary do? Verse 46 and 47. What does she say after all that? She's hanging out with her cousin Elizabeth now. Who she finds out is pregnant. What does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She sings. Mary rejoices. Mary worships. Instead of worrying, instead of being consumed by by her circumstances in light of all the crazy unknowns that Mary is faced with, she takes that worry and she worships. We can either worry or we can worship. Worry is worship, don't get me wrong. But we can worry or we can choose to worship God. So right now, maybe there are a lot of circumstances in your life that you have lifted up, that you have made much of, and you have been enamored by those things, and you've been consumed by those things, and you laid your life, maybe your emotional state, maybe your physical state, maybe your, even your own health, maybe your spiritual state as a living sacrifice for the circumstances you're in instead of rejoicing and worshiping God who is bigger than any difficult circumstance. And we worry, and we love to worry often instead of worship. But by God's grace, may we be a people so enamored by his glory that we would respond to him in sacrificial and loving and joyful worship to him. And so Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. See, Mary knows the Lord. Mary trusts in the Lord. Mary knows that God is king and that no matter what happens in life, she she doesn't have to worry, but she can worship. She knows and believes that God is in charge, that God is over all things, that God is over every religious person who is going to chew her out. Mary knows that God is over all demons and, and Satan himself and that everything sits under in all creation the authority of God. Mary believes that. And so she can look forward into the future, even though she's unsure of how everything will unfold in her life because she trusts in God. Trust in God this morning. Have faith in him. Whatever worry you carry with you in the church this morning, listen, Mary's got more. I mean, 
We got some 12 year olds probably in here, none of which I believe are pregnant, and none of which, no doubt, have God inside of them. Engaged with all of the pressures of the social and religious climate of people hating people who seems like are sinning, which Mary, yeah, God, uh huh, sure. Mary does not make much of her circumstances, but notice this. Mary doesn't pretend like they're not there. You know those Christians who tell you, hey, no, 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 brother, you just, you just keep doing your thing. You pretend like they're not there. Pretend like they're not there. Some of you can't pretend like some of your hardships are not there. They haunt you every day. They're there with you. But here's what I want you to see. What does Mary do? She doesn't just ignore her circumstances. She acknowledges them. Verse 48, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Mary's like, I'm humble. She's not saying like, oh, look how humble I am. She's like, no, no, I, I'm really, I'm humble. I'm poor. I sleep on the dirt ground. Maybe some straw on a good day. But my brothers and sisters come in later than I do. The God of the universe has looked upon the humble estate of this nobody. That's her own words. The humble estate he has looked upon of his servant. God knows everything about your life. God sees every single detail and struggle that you are going through, every hurt, every pain, every good day, every bad day, and he is focused on you. Did you know that? He counts the hairs on your head. Like counts them. Before a word leaves your mouth, he knows that word. He knows how much money you have in your bank account. He knows your name. He knows you better than you know you. And he loves you. Yes, she accepts the realities of her situation, Mary does. God sees me. He's looked upon the humble estate of his servant. But notice this. What does she do? She rejoices in her identity because her identity is not in her humble estate. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She is making much of God. She is worshiping God. She is not worshiping her circumstances. She is lifting up, glorifying, laying her life down as a living sacrifice for God who is bigger than any struggle she was, will go through. God is her affection of worship. Why? Because he has done a great thing for her. He's done a great thing for her. Hasn't he not? Mary said it. I'm, gonna be, I'm blessed among all women. She's not saying that pridefully. Gabriel told her that. And that was from the Lord. And here we are, thousands of, 2,000 years later, still talking about how blessed Mary is. Because she is a blessed woman. All generations will call her blessed. See, Christmas... It's not about gifts, but it's about the gift. And the gift of Christmas is that God has done a great thing for you. That is to say that, that we have sinned, but Jesus is our salvation. That we deserve hell, but Jesus goes to a cross and endures hell on our behalf so that those who have faith in him would not go to hell, but would have everlasting life in him. 
where we have made much of ourselves, Jesus lived perfectly and made much of God, all doing it without sin. And through Jesus Christ is the gift of eternal life. God has done a great thing for us. That is our identity. Let us worship in that if you are a Christian, if you have affection and love for Jesus. If not, that doesn't apply to you. That doesn't apply to you. And if that's not where you are at, then repent from your sin. And that is why Mary, in verse 46, acknowledges is God is a Savior. Let's just clarify this up. I know some of us have different church backgrounds. Mary is not perfect. Mary is a sinner, just like you and I are. And that is why she says, I need a Savior. Mary needed a Savior too. Because we know no one is righteous, no, not even one. We all need saving. And Mary proclaims that God has done a great thing for her, and we must proclaim in the midst of our difficult circumstances that God has done a great thing for us. Mary is not going to live in her circumstances and be defined by what other people will say, but she's going to live in light of her identity in Jesus Christ. She's not worried. I mean, she might be worried a little bit. Is dress going to fit? Am I going to go to synagogue anymore? Is my family going to believe me? Is my fiance going to leave me? What worries do you have? What freaks you out this morning? Worship. Don't worry. And when you worship, your worry will fade. And you might not feel like it. In fact, many times, you, you don't feel like it. But you don't do it because you feel like worshiping. You feel like laying your life down as a living sacrifice for God. But you do it because you know that in doing so, the feelings will come. You sing, and you might not feel the emotions, but listen... We don't do it for that. We do it for the glory of God. We do it because God is a great Savior, because He has done a great thing for us. Guys, remember, remember all that God has done for you. By remembering His faithfulness in your past, you can trust Him with your future. Psalm 40, verse 5 says this, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet there are more that can be told. So proclaim, rejoice, magnify the Lord. His faithfulness is unending. His love is unquenchable. His grace has no uh, end to the sin and the things that you have done. And even in your worry and even in your angst and even in your animosity towards other people or towards him, he still loves you and he still has affection for you. And so the psalmist says, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. But yet there is more wondrous deeds and thoughts that are for us that have yet to have been told. Which means God's not finished with you. He's not done with you. Right now that you're here and this word going out is a sign. Is God saying through his word, I got, I got thoughts towards you. I think about you. And so 
You can look at your past, and every Christian has a past. And Christian, you can look at your past and say, God, look how faithful you've been there, and you can trust him with your future. You've provided then. You're gonna, I know you're going to provide in the future. But you've got to write him down. Write him down. Take him to heart. How cool would it be for you and your family and your kids, you get older for you to look back, and I'm guilty of this too, I haven't written a lot of stuff down, for them to look back and say, wow, God, you, look what you did there. And then you're faced with these things in the future. God, I can trust you with my future. He's done a great thing for you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Mary says, verse, the end of verse 49, holy is his name. Her identity is in God, and her God is holy. You guys know God is holy. God is not ugly. God is not unholy. God is not unjust. God is not unfair. God is pure. God is fair. God is just. God is beautiful. God is holy. Holy is his, his name. So she goes on to say in verse 50, in this song that she breaks out in, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She's talking here about fear and the Lord. See, when we fear God, we worship God and we grow in our relationship with God. But when we fear man, we worship man. And Proverbs says that the fear of man is a snare. Fear God. Because the truth is about worship, we behold what we worship. Did you know that? You behold what you worship. You will reflect what you glorify. So what you glorify in your life, your life will reflect that very thing. And so when you fear man, your life is going to reflect fearing man, and you're going to worship man. But when you fear holy and almighty God, holy is his name. When you fear that God, your life is going to reflect that which you glorify. You will reflect him. And when the eyes of our soul have been opened to him, because we fear him, we will understand, as verse 50 says, that, that he has shown that his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You see, the, those whose eyes have not been opened through fearing him, but by fearing God, they don't think God is fair. They don't see God being merciful from generation to generation. But when we fear God and we love God, we realize, wow, he has been faithful from generation to generation. And every generation that raises their fist up against God, God's like, yeah, but I'm merciful to them. I have grace towards them. Now Mary continues in the song. She unloads in the middle of the song. It's like rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And she just like gets super theological. Just so you know, Mary, some believe she probably was illiterate. Which she might have been being in the poor state. She might have been a semi-slave even. Not knowing how to read. But you can tell she sat in synagogue because she had good theology. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. A 12-year-old. Come on, right? I mean, I don't even have theology like this. 12-year-old. He is strong, Mary says. His arm is strong. 
Whenever you picture the arm of the Lord, the arm of the Lord is saving people. He is strong. He's not weak. And Mary says, he is overall, which the theological term, you've, you've heard it a lot in this church, and you will hear it a lot in this church, uh, is sovereign, which means he is overall, all-powerful, ruling over everything. God is sovereign. God is not weak. God is powerful. And she says he has scattered the proud. Isn't that a crazy picture of God? I'm going to scatter the proud. Here we go. Let's do this. He scatters the proud. I think the perfect biblical illustration of this is Babel. You got, remember Babel? You know, Tower of Babel? My kids the other day were building blocks. She's like, Daddy, we're being like Babel. I was like, no, no, no. Don't be like Babel. Do you know what happened? Those people in Sinar in Genesis 11, they said, let us build ourselves a city. And they went on to say, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. So they're out to build a city. They're out to make a name for themselves. And why did they do that? So they wouldn't be weak. They built this city to show their power. They built, they're building this tower to build to show their strength. They're building the city to bring unity so that they aren't a separated people because separated people are not powerful, but people together are. And so in their pride, they raise their fists to God and like, God, we're going to make much of ourselves. Watch us. We're going to build this awesome tower. It's going to go to the heavens and every nation will look upon us like, wow, those people, look at them. The same sin of Babel is the same sin you and I struggle with. We are all out to make a name for ourselves. We are all out to build for ourselves heaven on earth to keep our life together and not scattered, to keep our life perfect, to make much of ourselves. And instead of making much of God, we've all done it. We've all done it. No one is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the, the, what, the glory of God. So we've all gone astray from his glory. We've all laid our life down as a living sacrifice for something other than God. We love praise from people. I'm tempted to make a name for myself. We all are. But we know, a proverb says, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So God is going to do what God is going to do. And Mary says that he scatters the proud and the thoughts of their and the thoughts of their heart, not even the thoughts of their mind, not even the thoughts of the words, just in their heart, he scatters them. And so what God does, and Mary's right, and that's what God does, right? You look at Babel, what happens? They're, they're going, they're going to town, construction is flying, things are being built, they're going higher and higher, and all of a sudden God comes down and scatters their heart. And what does he do? Or scatters them. He changes all of their languages. <laughs> I wonder if he's like, hey, Holy Spirit. Hey, Jesus, watch this. Everyone speaks a different language on the spot. And so in their pride, they were raising their fists to God, making a name for, the, for themselves, making themselves strong, and then God's like, but I'm going to scatter you anyway. Mary's got good theology. Yes, God is a God of love, but, but God scatters the proud at heart. God reveals to Mary that purpose is not found in the fame of ourselves, but purpose is found in the fame of God alone. And this is true for Mary. 
You have to understand the context. When Mary says, when Mary says that he has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Not every Jew was saying that at the time. Because there is a wicked man named Herod ruling over all of those people. Mary was under the cruel rule and reign of Herod as well. And Mary knew, yeah, Herod might be on a throne, and Herod is an evil man, and Herod will soon kill all the baby boys under two years of age and under because Herod hears a rumor that a rival king is coming. And so in order to kill the rival king, and because he is proud in heart, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to make a name for myself. i got to protect myself. Kills every baby male under, the, under two and under. But is he right? Yeah. Not right for killing, but right that a rival king is coming. A rival king is coming and he is better than Herod ever will be. His throne is big and is unending and his reign will never end. And so Mary awaits in this hope. But I don't think she fully realizes that that king is inside of her. She is going to give birth to the king who will sit upon the throne of David forever in the new Jerusalem. And so, verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. So look at the story of all the Herods in the Bible. It's true, God does that. He is filled, guys, see this, hear this, this is so good. He has filled the hungry with good things. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of, of his mercy, and he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. To sum up everything that Mary says here in these closing verses of this song that she is singing, she's saying, God is gracious. God gives us grace. Mary was someone who was disgraced by many, but from God she received grace. And no matter how humiliated, no matter how down, no matter how difficult Mary feels, God has looked upon the humble estate of his servant and he's given her grace. And so he does that with us. God will take our lowly place and lift us up with his grace. God uses those who feel useless. God helps those who are in fact helpless and God fills those up abundantly who are hungry for he fills the hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. God shows up and blesses Mary, and she is going to have a baby, and that baby will be God, and that baby will change the world. Listen, you don't have to make a name for yourself. You live for the fame of him. And God will take care of your reputation. God will take care of what people say about you. It doesn't matter. No wonder after Mary is visited by this angel and singing this song, she realizes God delights in her. God delights 
and his children. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, God delights in you. God sees all the sin, all the sorrow, all the pride, all the religion, all the self-glory, and he loves you anyways. We have a good God. So, which are you? Do you live to make much of yourself? Do you live to make much of your own circumstances? Or do you live for the glory of God? Repent if you have lived for your own glory. That word for repent simply means to turn away and to look to Christ, who is our perfection, who is our righteousness, who is our Savior. We cannot save ourselves, but through Christ Jesus we are saved. And God has made a plan, and Jesus is our Savior. And if you repent, you respond to the gospel in faith, you will be saved. But if you're a Christian this morning, stop dwelling on your sin. God doesn't remember your sin anymore. Did you know that? That as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. He doesn't remember them anymore. Stop dwelling on your sin and glorify and rejoice that you have a good Savior who forgives all your sin. Because God is a better Savior than you will ever be a sinner. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a Savior. Thank you that you've given us this song, that Mary's song, and we can look to Mary as an example of glorifying you and not glorifying our circumstances. And so now, as we are wrapping up this time of worship in your word, I pray that those who've come to church this morning, who have heard your truth, who have been penetrated by the Holy Spirit, would respond to you in faith. God, you are a Savior. We cannot save ourselves, but through Christ Jesus we are saved. And if there are those of you this morning that you have, you came into church and you realized that Jesus was not your Savior, but you've heard the gospel and you've believed in the gospel and you've responded to the gospel in faith this morning and you've realized that God is a Savior and he has saved you from your sin this morning. Raise your hand up in the air if that's you. Just go ahead and raise your hand up in the air. I know many of you, some of you I do not know. God, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you, God, that you are saving us. If you were a Christian, don't get distracted. Don't close your Bibles. Just relax for a second. And if you're a Christian, have a conversation with God. Dwell on the reality that God is your Savior. Don't dwell on your sin. Rejoice in Him and don't worship your circumstances. God, I repent. I'm so sorry, God, that I have worried things about the church, things about my family things about our church family. We want to be a people who are repentant people, who are sensitive to your spirit, who rejoice and glorify you for holy is your name. Mighty are you, God. 
magnificent in all your ways. We don't want to dwell on our sin anymore, but we want to dwell upon you, Jesus. God, have your way with us, your people, in this time. Thank you, God, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.